Welcome to The Table. Welcome to The Table is a podcast put out by the good people of Pulpit Rock Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It is a time when we can talk about interesting topics and have some space to really have dialogue about things that we think are important. Um, I'm your host, Thomas Thompson, and with me is my co-host, JM. Hello. Hey. And we're in the middle of a season of something really interesting to us. We're talking about the Bible. Yep. And uh, especially we're in the middle of a conversation about kind of how we got the Bible that we got and also like how we know that the Bible that we got is actually what happened. And so we're going to continue that conversation now. So now I want to circle back to something that we have been talking about, and that is we threw out that all 27 books of the New Testament were written within 60 years of the events of Christ. And you talked about how in the scope, you gave some great examples about how that's really close, but some people might listen and go, gosh, 60 years, that's a lot of time. Right. And you're telling me that it was kind of passed down like story to story. How do we know that what this writer wrote 50 years later is really what happened. And it kind of makes me think of that old game telephone. Mm. Do you remember playing that? I do. Uh, do we have to explain to our listeners what a telephone I, is? <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> Telef- <laughs> telephone is a game where you'd sit in a circle, like five or six friends, and uh, one person would have a statement and they would say something like, uh, the, the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain." And they'd whisper it into the ear of one person. And then that person would turn to the next person. They'd say, the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. Um, however, as each person would tell the story, um, sometimes a word or two would get missed or dropped or changed. And so then it would, would come back to the last person. They would get up and they might say something like, um, it rains in Spain in the winter. And you're like, well, how did you get that from what right. we said? And, and and it was this game of telephone. It was always funny to see what would happen. Well, you start to think about this game of telephone. We, we got a 60-year game of telephone happening. So how do we know that we're getting the truth? Mm. And it comes to this word called orality, which is another way of talking about the oral transmission of Scripture. In Like I said, our church is doing the walking through the book of Mark, and I've been really studying about um, the ancient culture in which you know, Mark was living and writing. One of the things I discovered was that in the ancient world, very few people read. If you were poor, you probably weren't educated. You couldn't read. If you were rich, why would you read? I'm going to pay someone to read for me. Um, That's the dream, Thomas. That is the dream. dream. (laughs) Uh, They're going to read it and summarize it. I was thinking of the the Simpsons movie quote where the president, they put down five plans in front of them. Which one do you want? He goes, I was paid to lead, not to read. (laughs) So he just picks one. Um, I I forgot about that. (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. Um, Back in the ancient world, the way that people spread news or information was they would tell other people. And Mm -hmm. so you would hear the news. You didn't read a newspaper or you would just say, tell me what happened. And the people would tell that. So it was a culture that was very attuned to kind of orally passing along information. And in fact... They wanted to hear from an eyewitness. They didn't want to read something. Right. This is more trustworthy. You were there. Tell me what happened. Here's a question. How did the early church circulate the story of Jesus before it was written? How did we get from the the death and resurrection of Christ to 60 years later writing about it? It was told. Again, I I go back to, to Paul's letters, even when he's writing to somebody. The authority to what he's speaking of is he's like, as it was told to me, so I say it to you, hmm. or so I said it to you. If you read Colossians, there's chunks of Colossians, which 
they have a poetic or lyrical quality that Paul is quoting some sort of early church hymn or song because that's how it was transmitted. We can even go to the creeds, right? That's that's what it was. They were orally transmitting, hey, when you say you are a, a, a Christian, here's what you are ascribing to. Here's what you are mm-hmm. agreeing with. And it was something that they they took in, they memorized, and they, they recited. One of the interesting things to me, some of our listeners may not realize this, but phones used to not hold phone numbers for you. Yeah. Right? Speaking of telephones. And what's amazing to me is I can look back and go, I used to know like 50 people's phone numbers. If I wanted to call um, a buddy of mine, I would just dial him up from memory. Writing puts things down. So like phones holding that information for me. I don't know anybody's phone number. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I could tell you my, I mean, I can tell you my phone number after thinking about it for a while. And my wife's, because it's just one off from mine. I made it very simple on myself when I got our phone numbers. But when you don't have, writing puts something down in stone so it doesn't change, a little bit lazy. We don't have to remember it. We don't have to hold on as tightly because I can always go back and reference it later. Yeah. We don't have to memorize stuff today because we have the internet. We can mm-hmm. always, I can look it up within 10 seconds. As you were speaking, I just thought I have, I have three children that have phones. I could not tell you their phone numbers. I know they start with 719 because it's the area code. Right. I literally have no idea what their numbers yeah. are. I don't need to know that. Um, I was uh, a couple months ago, uh, was visiting an Anglican church in town mm. and a friend of mine's a pastor there. And as part of that service, we got up and I believe it was the apostles creed. And we read the apostles creed off of the screen. And I thought this is really neat to, to do. And I, I thought if I went to this church every Sunday for a year and I said that over and over, I bet I would get to the point where I didn't have to read it off the screen because I would just keep saying mm-hmm. it over and over again. And that's a little bit of what this, what we're missing in our culture, because we are not an oral culture. No, we're not. We're a written culture. We can Mm -hmm. read it or we can archive it. And so it's kind of hard for us to think. And sometimes we, we can even tend to think, look back and go, well, these people back then were less educated than us, you know, less, less, uh, um, intellectually informed. Yes. And so we can, we can, we miss the fact that this was a powerful part of the culture was, oral tradition. Mm-hmm. And I came across an article by Daryl Bach, a Dallas seminary professor about this. And he was quoting Ken Bailey. Ken Bailey was a missionary in the Middle East for a number of years. He worked among Bedouins and they would pass these stories along orally because they could not read and they could not write. And uh, he noticed some very interesting things. I'm quoting this article. Now. He noticed some very interesting things about the way stories and events got passed down in this long established Middle Eastern culture. First, he observed that the nature and importance of the story determined how carefully the details got passed down. The more important the story, the more care people gave to how they passed it on. Mm-hmm. So think about our example. If someone was just telling you about some, an incident that happened in the marketplace, they, they might get some details wrong. But if they're talking about the resurrection of Christ, this was something they wanted to get right. Right. Going on in this article, he said, second, Ken Bailey observed that a story's detail could vary but the retelling could not change its core. If a storyteller distorted a crucial detail, an elder would speak up and correct the deviation. He contended that these oral cultures seem closer to the early church than our literary culture. So there is no telephone game-like result. And he goes on, uh, Dr. Box says, the details of the gospel accounts might not match exactly, but the story's points remains intact. 
And that that's helpful for me to think about because sometimes, you know, you look at the way that Matthew described this event and it seems a little bit off right. than the way that, that Mark might describe it. But again, the, the main point is still there. Right. There are different ways to look at at, at scripture, different lenses that we can view scripture through. And one of them is a literary lens. And what's what's amazing to me is when you look at the synoptic gospels, the go- gospels that look at Christ the same. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew and Luke writing after Mark were like, hey, we have some things that we feel are important to discuss to the people that we're writing to. But it seems that they both used Mark as an outline. Because while they may have tightened the grammar, while they may have said, oh, well, you know, you know, Matthew may have said, well, you know, Jesus spoke a lot more here than is recorded in Mark. They held Mark in such high regard that the events of Mark are in the same order that they happen in Matthew and the same order that they happen in Luke. So even among the writers, there was this sense of, hey, Mark told the story and there is, we have to be true to what he said, as well as speaking to the people we're speaking to. And so there's a, there's a belief that like Matthew and Luke were working with a copy of Mark and going, Ooh, well, if I'm writing to the Jewish people, I really want to, you know, to include this other thing, or as, as Luke is putting together his account for, um, the, the patron that he's writing for, he's got Mark's account and his eyewitnesses account. But as you just said, like there's, there's a, there was a, an intent in an oral culture to while details may change, the core of the, the narrative has to stay the same. And so even these guys who are writing other gospels are like, the core of the narrative is Mark. Mark got that. And so I need to make sure that I am in line with, with Mark, even as I am writing my own gospel. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I, I have come to understand about the gospels were, these are not just flat out eyewitness accounts. Uh, they were written with agendas in mind. Mm-hmm. Mark's agenda is very clear. I want you to be confronted with who is Jesus, why he came, and what that means. So he's going to arrange his material towards that mm-hmm. end. Uh, Matthew also wants you to know who Jesus is, but he's he wants you, you as a Jewish person to embrace that Jesus is this Messiah that you've always been, you know, and Luke has his own purposes in John. And so they're, they're, they're putting these things together, not just as this is what happened and this is what happened. And so um, when you think about what Mark was doing, what... There were these different stories. Here's a teaching of Jesus. Here's an event that happened. Okay, here's Mm -hmm. this time that this synagogue ruler came and fell at the feet of Jesus and said, would you please come and heal my daughter? She's going to die. So that is an event that happened. And the telling of that story was getting told over and over and over and over again for 30 years. Mark had heard this story and had told this story and decided I need to put this down. And it's, it's my understanding that the, the book of Mark, for example, before it was ever written down, this was this was a story you told. Mm-hmm. It was a presentation you would make. And imagine that uh, I was I just met you for the first time and I was like, Jam, I want to tell you the story of Jesus. And I would begin to tell this story back in this culture, ways that they would help remember things. They might do different voices. It might be more of a performance. And then Jairus said, come and save my daughter. And, you know, they would, yeah. they would act it out and they would retell this story over and over again around uh, dinner tables and campfires and in their gatherings together. This was how it was communicated. And then what Mark is finally doing, as we talked about earlier, is he's finally said, well, hey, uh, we're losing the people who can cooperate the story. So I need to just write this stuff down mm-hmm. and I need to make sure, hey, is this exactly, Peter, you were there. Is this exactly what Jairus said? Okay, I'm going to write it down exactly word yeah. for word. Well, that's the thing to remember, right? Every attempt to find a historical Jesus usually ends up 
out in the weeds. The Gospels are not written as we would view history, right? They're not like Herodotus trying to recount the history of, of um, his time and the wars of his time. These, were writ- these, are, these are written as true stories, as true encounters of the divine and humanity, as, as with a purpose of saying, Jesus is God and he saved you. And here's what, what you need to know about him. They're, they're, they're not set up as, the closest would be Luke, who tries to ground it. But even he's writing more of a tradition that is like how the Roman rulers would have their, you know, the Roman emperors would have their, their stories of their rise to power kind of recorded. It's more of a Greco-Roman narrative style, which is why the Gospels are kind of their own style or their own genre. They're not histories. They're not autobiographies. They're not biographies. They're they're gospels. They're the story of God's great love that he would step into the tale of humanity and die for us. And what all, all of the stuff around that, who Christ was, what he did, what he came to do, why he was, you know, you know, resurrected. That's what the gospels are. They're, They're not designed to be a chronological historical every detail recounted they're they're a story yeah a true story right, right. grounded in history but yeah. it, it, it this is not a historian writing this these no. are these are people who are saying let me connect these dots for you of who mm-hmm. jesus was um so kind of to summarize how, how do you how do you go 30 40 50 60 years and still trust that what was shared, the, the events of Jesus and the stories that were told before they were written down, how do we trust that they, they weren't part of some big telephone game? Uh, I think it comes down to two things. It comes down to um, the apostles. It comes down to repetition. Uh, when I say the apostles, I mean, you, again, this is why Mark started to write this stuff down, is because you had apostles there who could correct these stories. Yeah. And so let's say somebody was in the church telling the story of Jairus and his daughter, and there would be an apostle there to say, no, 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 let me correct how that happened. Right. That was happening all the time. And that's why these apostles had authority. Mm-hmm. They had authority from Christ uh, as, as chosen by him, but also because they were there and they were frequently actively consulting and correcting um, just like the elders in that Bedouin village. Yeah. But then that other thing is uh, that we're not used to, like we said, is the oral tradition of repetition. Um, these stories were repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated mm-hmm. and told and told in different ways. And even things like a, like a Passover meal. You know, the, the reason for the Passover meal is to repeat these events and tell these stories again of the Jewish people's exodus right. and so that it would never be lost. Now, even though we're not an oral tradition culture, in some ways we can't do this stuff. So let me give you an example how even though we're not an oral culture, we, we still see some echoes of this. If, if I said to you, JM, hey, for this podcast today, let's sing Amazing Grace. Yep. Um, now, first of all, we're not going to do that. Yeah, thankfully, because we, we have audio. <laughs> <laughs> but we could without okay. looking at it. Yeah. Why? Because how many times in your life have you sung that? I, I bet hundreds of times I've sung that song. Oh, yeah. And I could sing it and I could sing it accurately because I've repeated it and I've sung it. Another example of that is uh, take your son Zane. What is his favorite movie? Uh, right, right now it's uh, Infinity War and that's only because we don't have Endgame yet. So, okay. Yeah. Um, how old is Zane? Zane is seven. Okay. At your house the other day, Zane was showing me how he's learning to write cursive. Mm-hmm. So he's still learning how to write. And yet I suspect that he could quote 
oh, from Infinity War. Huge chunks. He, he's always like, Dad, do you remember when Black Panther says X, Y, and Z in Infinity War? And I'm like, no. Wait, okay, maybe I remember, like, have a vague recollection of the scene. Kind of in my group of friends, there is that we all could quote Vader talking to Luke mm -hmm. in Empire. Almost word for word, you know. Obi-Wan never told you about his your father, did he? And that comes close to it, right? There's this story that we love that we've seen or experienced so many times. And you're right, Zane, Zane is learning to write, but he has right now the oral memory. Like he can hear something, mm -hmm. much to my dismay. Dad, you said. Yeah. Ugh. And he it, not only just quoting from that movie, I bet he could sit down and pretty much kind of tell you the oh, flow yeah. of the movie why because how many times has he watched infinity war and uh parents of young kids it drives you nuts sometimes when your kid wants to watch that same episode or movie and, yeah. and you're like oh my goodness i can't i can't take this movie one more time i mean but that's it's that repetition of story and so i i really have grown in my appreciation of um, what people like Mark was trying to do. I, I can't mm -hmm. wait to meet Mark one day. I am fascinated by the fact that he set out to do these things, uh, but not only would he set out to do, to, to share the story of Christ, but that we can trust that what Mark put down is what happened. Yeah. Because of the oral tradition, the correctiveness of the apostles, and the presence of the Holy Spirit guiding this whole process. So let me ask you a question. This may not be a... So you, you said that Mark is your favorite right now. Yes. Your favorite, your favorite evangelist. <laughs> of the God, of the four God, of yeah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Has that always been the case? Or do you find that as you journey through life, your favorite gospel has changed? That's a great question. Um, it's kind of like you're, you know, when someone says, what's your favorite verse? And, yeah. you know, it, I don't know, right now it's this or. Or like Ecclesiastes, which I thought was a horrible book when I was 25. Right. And then when I was 45, I thought it's the greatest thing that's yeah. ever been put on paper. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I've, I've always liked John yeah. just because he's different and mm -hmm. he brings something else to the table. But uh, I've kind of liked Mark. I think I've grown in my appreciation of Mark. I used to kind of think Mark was more of just uh, the joke was I liked it because it's the shortest gospel. Right. Like, you know, I can read it quickly, yeah. main events, but I really see the beauty of what he's doing. Yeah, I, uh, Mark, I think, Mark, my esteem of Mark has gone up. It used to be, well, I don't want to read the shortest gospel. Give me something with some meat to it. But man, Mark is doing things that, yeah, the more I study Mark, the more, well, it's, it's the same way when I studied Revelation. Trisha, when we did our big Revelation class, my wife was like, I grew up always thinking that John just didn't understand what he was seeing. You know, he was some wild man living on an island in exile, maybe ate something he shouldn't have and saw a bunch of stuff. <laughs> but when you actually study him, everything is purposeful. Everything comes back and comes around. So the fact that like Mark always links, you always have a healing and an exorcism. They're, they're always, they're always together. Mm -hmm. And that the kingdom of God is a lot about revoking the kingdom of Satan and like, like the fall gets rolled back. Death and evil don't exist around Christ and Mark. He's pushing them away, right? <laughs> he spends 70% of the time, like immediately. And then he hits Holy week and he starts going day 
by yeah. day. And then he hits the last day of Christ and he's going hour by hour. And he's like, all of this stuff that I'm blitzing through that just um, then immediately and then immediately, it's to create a sense of urgency to get you to the meat mm-hmm. of the last third. And it's like, he wasn't just some guy who was writing, like he was inspired. Like he had, he had insight into how to write this story for his purpose. And it's beautifully put together. Well, and and think about it being, uh, you know, him collecting these oral stories mm-hmm. and in presenting Mark. And I, like I said, I really believe that that the Book of Mark would have been even even presented orally. I agree in this way. Um, and if I start telling you a story, I don't want to lose you in the first five minutes. So I, I'm telling you this story, and immediately this happens, and this time, oh wow, and then a demon, and then this heal. Oh my goodness! And then now I'm now I'm hooked. Mm-hmm. Now you can slow down that last week of Christ. Cause I'm like, yeah, I, I want to see this thing through to yeah. the end. And, um, what, what Mark does, it's funny is, um, he'll say things like, uh, and then Jesus taught. And then the people all said this with, <laughs> and you're like, wait, 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 back up. What, what did Jesus teach? And it almost seems like Mark is not as interested in some of the details or what Jesus taught as he is in how people responded to Jesus, which is why in my you know new study of Mark, I'm really believing, okay, he wrote this book because he wants you to respond to him. Yeah. Uh, and then I start thinking about someone like Matthew coming along going, ah, it's driving me crazy that you left out all this teaching. Yeah. I, let me, let me put my gospel together. That's right. You know, we get to meet Mark, like some of my questions are going to be like, now, did you leave the teaching out? Because you're like, I can't corroborate that. Or because your main source was Peter. And you're like, well, what did Jesus teach? And Peter's like, I don't know. I zoned out. And you're like, yeah, no, it's very clear as we go through the story. But it is, I mean, it is, you know, if, if he really was interviewing Peter, it's it's very telling that Peter's like, make, make sure you put the part in where, um, well, first of all, make sure you put the part in where I was the first one to say that Jesus That's was right. Messiah. But also put in the part where then I told Jesus he didn't have to go to the cross yeah. and he rebuked me and called me Satan. Yeah. Put that in your Put book. That one in. Yeah. I also like, it's got probably my two favorite verses from the gospels right now, which is, you know, one where, where the man comes to Jesus and Jesus is like, Hey, if you believed it would be done. And the guy replies in probably what to me feels like the most honest response in scripture. I do believe help my unbelief. That has become probably one of my favorite verses, but then also I feel like Mark has got a little bit like Matthew's got angry Jesus. and mm. Luke's got compassionate Jesus and Mark's got snarky Jesus. Yeah. Like Jesus walked on the water with the intent to pass them by. Mm-hmm. Is he not making eye contact? Is he like, oh, I can't believe it. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus intended to pass them by? Like, oh, look, there are my friends drowning in a boat. Do, 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 do. <laughs> um, it, I, I just, it just hit me. I, 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 we taught on this um, a, a few weeks ago, and I didn't re- recognize this till this conversation. But um, in that same, go back to Jairus' daughter. Yeah. Uh, when, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus uh, raises her from the dead. <gasps> yeah, so she actually does die. And then Jesus raised her from the dead, which is a greater miracle and a more impressive miracle than just healing her before she died. Right. But um, in this moment, uh, what how Jesus heals her is he looks at her. There's this dead 12-year-old girl, and he says, Talitha Kaum. And then Mark says, which means, you know, little girl, get up. Yeah. And I'm realizing now, so so we know that the the New Testament that we have is written in Greek, the language of that day, but that Jesus probably often spoke Aramaic. Right. Talitha Koum is an Aramaic phrase. Yeah. And Mark, why did Mark quote that mm. instead of just saying, and Jesus said to her, little girl, get up. Uh, 
I don't know, this is conjecture, but if you were telling this story orally, it would be a real neat hook to actually quote. And then Jesus looked at this girl and he said to her, Talitha Kaum. And so you might not know what Aramaic is, but you're really intrigued by this. Yeah. And then Mark says, which means in Aramaic, little girl, get up. Oh, like it's yeah. such a, it's a, it's such a, 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 a great hook just from a writing standpoint. Oh yeah. But it's also just a, a great cooperation of that's, that's literally the words he said. Yeah. Cause what, you know, when we're getting the Greek, we're getting the Greek version of what Jesus, and, but in this moment he said, let me just quote Jesus directly. This is such an important moment. Yeah. yeah. What a great, and it's such a powerful, you know, phrase and something I wouldn't have known, but anyways, it just attests more to me of the power of what Mark did and that God led him to do. So one thing that this last time going through Mark that really stood out to me, right? Jesus says the Messiah's purpose is to ransom his life, you know, ransom his life for many. And then we get to Barabbas and Barabbas is a political agitator, right? Who has been rebelling against the Rome, against Rome. That's why you crucify someone in Rome. Barabbas's name means either son of the father, Bar Abba, or son of the teacher, Bar Rabbi, right? It's, it's one mm. of those two meanings. So you have the son of the father who is a criminal who deserves death. And instead, he is ransomed and set free by the son of the father who goes to the cross in literally in his stead. Mm. And I'm just like, the poetry there, like the impact of that story changed for me. Realizing, hey, Mark is always going to talk about Jesus ransoming his life. And here's sort of the first instance of it. This guy who doesn't even know what's going on and Jesus takes his place. He ransoms his life with his own death. Yeah. And we've, that is, that is a great insight. And we've talked before about one of the, one of the things that helps me understand the Bible is uh, I marvel at the, the, the overall unity of this mm -hmm. whole book written, you know, over 1500 years time span written in all these all 40 different authors and, and all these different locations and different languages. And yet um, this, this one story that really mm -hmm. fits together and these, these different callbacks back just remind me that, um, th that's just never been done. No. I mean, there are other religious books out there or things where maybe someone wrote within a time period or one person or a few people, but just the, that you could go all over the globe in these different, uh, all over this, uh, area in different points in history, different times, different, uh, situations. And yet it, it comes together. It's yeah. the unity. Yeah. So that's, that's the canon. That's, that's kind of how we got this, this Bible that we have. In our next episode, I want to turn the corner and start talking about the conversation of how do we read the Bible? Like, are, are there different ways to read the Bible that are more helpful than others? How do we understand it when we have passages that seem confusing? How do we read it when you and I disagree on that? Let's, yeah. let's get into some of those things going forward. Awesome. Looking okay. forward to it. Right. Thanks, Jim. <laughs>